Well, good morning, everybody. It's uh, great to see you or hear you or you hear us, whatever that might be, again on uh, our podcast, which is Better People, Better Business. Um, my name is Andrew Deering. I have the pleasure of working with a bunch of really cool and clever people who are really good at helping others, um, people and organisations, to be better. And we do a lot of work around capability and otherwise. Um, and our purpose in the podcast is to bring some conversation to show you just how clever some of the people are that I get to work with. And today I have the absolute pleasure of having some time with Maha White, uh, another one of the TDG crew, who is, um, I keep saying clever, but I'll say it again, very clever person, um, and brings a bunch of wisdom and knowledge to the team and experience. Um, morning, Maha. Hello, everyone. Hi, Andrew. Um, we're doing this over Zoom because it's the best way to do it and grab hold of us. Um, for those who haven't worked it out, I'm based in Brisbane and Maha's based over in Perth, so it's a delight to be able to do this digital stuff and make life easy. Um, Maha comes from, like I said, comes from a bunch of experience across a range of different uh, sectors and otherwise. And I'm, you know, Maha, what? Just tell us a little bit about you because uh, people may not have known you yet, and I'm sure they'll want to. Thanks, Andrew. Um, yeah, so I uh, started working in the RTO realm back in 2008 when we moved to Australia and um, immersed myself. Where was pre-Australia? Uh, Zimbabwe. Cool. Very cool. Yes. So um, moved back in 2008 and started my RTO journey then. Um, I've always seen the RTO world as a bit of a mountain range and, you know, you feel like you get to uh, base, you know, base camp and um, then all of a sudden there's another base camp and um, there's so much still to learn and I'm still learning. However, I feel a couple of years down the track, I've got a pretty good overview mm. of, of most of the peaks and... Um, and troughs and, as well? Yes, and troughs as well. Some, <laughs> some serious yeah. troughs. But, yes, yeah, so um, worked for an RTO um for about five years and then worked for an auditor who um, was an auditor for TAC as well as ASQA, where I really got um, good knowledge of the um, the, the standards um, as well as just unpacking training packages and unit of competencies and, and things like that. Um, moved away from compliance um, into a small stint in um uh, mind closure consulting and then worked for a large RTO that specialized in training for the oil and gas industry, mining, defense, aviation. Um, and I was in client partnerships there, which I actually really enjoyed. Um, I'm very much a relationship person, so really love working with my clients and, and bringing out the best training for them. And, um, and yeah, that's probably my passion is, you know, helping helping clients get better and um, improve the way they do things and, um, yeah, build the relationships. Cool. Here I am now at the dealership. Yes. Continue my journey. What a delight it is to have you here. Mm -hmm. um, and a couple of little acronyms in there for people who may or may not be familiar with it. ASQA is the federal entity that helps uh, or that maintains regulatory uh, rigour around RTOs, reg registered training organizations um, and I think again it's an interesting nuance that often people 
talk about training and they don't always see the difference between an RTO or, or a TO. You know, there is some training that can just be done and it doesn't have to be nationally recognised. But anything that has a national framework around it, those units of competency type pieces that are linked to um, training.gov.au, that's the stuff that sits in the world of the RTO. Um, is it fair to say there's a reasonable bunch of expectation and um, effort required to keep that all clean and neat, Mark? Oh, very much so. There's um, a great, great deal involved in maintaining um, those standards. Um, the, the processes and policies that, that go hand in hand with that are, are pretty hard to maintain. Um, mm. it's, not an, it's not an easy job being a recognised training organisation mm. um, and there's a lot of effort behind, closed, behind those doors that you probably as a trainee never see mm. uh, that goes into being an RTO and especially a well-run RTO. Yeah, and I think it's, uh, it is a tricky area and it certainly in the last five years has become a little more complicated and a little bit harder. Um, it's something we don't, you know, we aren't an RTO. We absolutely understand the world of uh, qualification-based thinking. We integrate into it, but we are not an RTO in how we do what we do, but we do help organisations understand the best path of them around training. Is it something that's around job readiness always is our focus, but also recognising that qualifications may be a, a support process or a process that can be used to achieve that job readiness. Mm -hmm. um, at this point, and I no spoilers or otherwise, but I'm certainly not intending any spoilers, we're not racing toward being an RTO anytime soon. Um, but it is lovely to have Maha here who has that depth of experience. So when she's talking to clients, she gets that rigour, gets that complexity. Um, and the other little acronym in there was TAC, which is the West Australian version of the national regulator, but just for WA. Um, there's just some nuances there which we won't dig into because they're not really all that interesting, uh, <laughs> but that's good. So, um, and I think it's really interesting, uh, you know, one of the reasons why I think people bias toward qualifications or down an RTO-type pathway is because it's it's kind of a standardised approach. It's, it's explained, it's inside a box, it seems to meet everybody's need. Um, I know that's a... That's just an interesting frame and, and probably a little bit around what we're going to talk to you today. And uh, I'm interested in, in hearing from you as we start to do work now, but also in your past when you're dealing with clients across your history. You know, what's one of the things that you see a lot of, an area that might be an opportunity for understanding or even exploration? Um, what's, what, what is that that you see that could be really interesting to talk to you today for everybody listening in? Sure. Um, I feel there's a real um, opportunity for the standardised training. I think there's it provides great benefits to both industry organisations as well as the actual trainees and the you know the the reduction of trainee fatigue of having to redo individual organisations training. Um, you know there might even be crossover within industries for for certain training. Um, so there's real benefit in in standardising training and, and and going down that path mm. um as as um 
as it is very helpful. And it also, you know, reduces could reduce costs for certain companies. Um, but I feel really the the training, the trainee fatigue is a is a huge thing. Mm. Um, obviously the dangers with standardization and something to be aware of is oversimplification, um, missing vital parts within the training um, is very dangerous. There's also been in the past a real push from industry and organizations to reduce the hours of training and the amount of training, which has forced a lot of training organizations into um, into some probably being forced to deliver training that is not quite to standard or up to scratch, you know, up to competency. Mm. Um, so there, there's those dangers there. Um, I always com- compare it a bit to when you're flying, and which we haven't been doing a lot of, but when in the <laughs> past when we all flew a lot and we got into yeah. that aeroplane and we sat down and all we wanted was our drink and snack and then came the safety brief. And for people who flew a lot, they never listened and they just oh, I know where everything is but I guess in the in a real pickle those people wouldn't or probably even I at, at times wouldn't have actually known where those where my closest exit is mm. um you know which would probably come in handy if something had gone wrong and 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 that is I feel you can compare that to to training is that if your your employees have to redo training time and time again because they're moving either from site to site or organisation to organisation or industry to industry, they turn off and they actually don't listen. So I think it's important to try and find the right information to standardise mm. but not miss out on the emergency exits. <laughs> yeah, love that metaphor. Um, and I think it's uh, really insightful. And, and the thing that's hitting my head is uh, we often talk with clients and amongst ourselves about, you know, how do we get to a place of Goldilocks, Um, you know, where it's not too hot, not too cold, not too much, not too little, but just right. Mm -hmm. And and I think um, a lot of organisations that we talk to, you know, we have the benefit of coming in with a bunch of experience and a bunch of people who have done a lot of things who have been both operational organisations and have, have also had the back office, be it, you know, like you've talked about the RTO experience and before that you had a bunch of operational experience as well in businesses. So it's not a naive administrative academic view. It's a very hands-on pragmatic view. Yeah. And, and for us to be able to look at these things, to, be able to, to, to understand what is required and to be able to talk about, you know, where's the Goldilocks in this? What is, what is an opportunity to standardise, as you said, without the risk of oversimplification? Um, yeah. And, and I, I guess... Uh, to go down that path, you know, what what when we start talking about oversimplification, what's the consequences of that? What kind of things that should could happen that we are concerned about, that you are concerned about? Well, obviously, um, you know, health and safety um, is probably the major mm. concern. You know, if someone is is not well trained or doesn't um, take in the training that is quite or doesn't even receive the training. For especially you know for that site, if, especially if it's site specific, so um, there's obviously the danger of something going seriously wrong. Um, even with some simple training, get like permits work that everyone has to do, or um, you know if, if that doesn't 
isn't delivered well and, and done well, um, there's real real dangers there that things can go wrong. Um, I think it's it's interesting too when you talk about that. You know, obviously, we deal with a lot of organisations that um, have frontline high risk operational workforces. Uh, you know, the, the traditional sort of ones everyone goes to oil and gas mining, etc. But yeah. you know, infrastructure, utilities. But this is just as applicable to any sector oh, in the sense of you know what is it that is enough, not too much, not too little. Um, and that OCH health safety, workplace health safety, whatever language you need to, people need to use, um, are you meeting the requirements as they are established in any of the legislation or regulations that exist? Every single one of the, the work health safety type legislations, you know, in a great or small shape, all say people need to be competent. Yeah. And, and the approach of making sure people get there, I think that's the heart of the gift that you're bringing is you can you can go there the long, slow, hard way um, or you can think about some of the approach to standardising some of it to actually reduce the complexity yeah. and, and potentially actually make the whole process of getting there kind of interesting or enjoyable, heaven forbid. Yes. Um, you know, because I think sometimes, well, I certainly have and I know... We've talked about you've also sat through training where you just want to poke yourself in the eye with a burning stick. Absolutely. It's just not good. Yes. Um, and and the, the reality is you come in one day and you come in the next, it could be different. Yep. So Absolutely. people engaging into an organisation, into an industry, into whatever, are potentially getting told different things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and it's And there is obviously different training organisations even deliver unit of competencies very differently um, and you know there's definitely evidence of some um, training organizations really reducing um, the hours spent on, on some training because of the pressures from industry um, to do so um, and there is there's danger in in, in doing that um, because in the end you will end up with a workforce that isn't well trained um, so it is hard to find, like you said, that Goldilocks to to get it right, you know, not to over-train and get that training fatigue, but still providing the right amount of training. And I think that's that's the most important thing is the right amount of training. Yeah, um, just just right, just, just yeah. the right fit. Yeah, and it's especially easy. focusing on practical, not death by PowerPoint, you know, that's always the danger um, yeah. that maybe some training organisations fall into is, you know, doing the death by PowerPoint and not maybe actually applying that, that practical training and really looking at some, some different ways of doing it. Um, and that's becoming more and more interesting with having to try and do remote training. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's COVID has really highlighted that. And, yeah. you know, the move to online training and um, the dangers that come with that as well um trying to reduce face-to-face training it's it's a yeah it's a and the training all the conversations where things like this happen where it's like yeah is he there is he there <laughs> I, I think i think they're still there hello indeed indeed if you're not sure how to engage with people in that context it's a different frame again yeah. um, and I love there was something you said in there which I, I want to go back to because it's really powerful and it's something that 
uh, I think is um, lost at times in lots of places. There's this piece where people, I've had many, many conversations with um, people and clients around uh, a simple, simple conversation, which is, do you think your business does uh, enough training? And most people kind of go, yeah, I think so. Sometimes not, but more than often, yeah, we, we do a lot of training. Okay, with all of the training, do you think you do too much training? Yeah, we probably do do too much. Um, the second question is, with all that training you're doing, um, or the third question, sorry, with all that training you're doing, do you think your people are actually learning anything? Mm. And and that's probably the clang of it. And most often than not, people just stop and say, I'm not really sure. Yeah. Um, and, and a part of what we part of the work we do obviously is to help them understand what training is useful, what isn't, and how they can actually get it to not just be training, but be learning. And you said it really, really well in that piece where you talked about, you know, um, it's all about the application. You know, it's all about making sure that whatever you are, whatever knowledge and skills you're getting receiving you've got to practice it yeah. you've, got to, you've got to be able to demonstrate it you've got to be able to demonstrate it safely repeatedly over time such that you can show that you've actually developed yes. competency yes. Um, and, and it is that shift from training to learning mm-hmm. um, and the risk of oversimplification I know there's been a lot of issues you can go to lots of different sectors but one that is fairly well known in a lot of industries is Things like high risk work licenses, you know, for forklifts, et cetera, where people can kind of show up somewhere and somehow magically, you know, in one organization it's done in a couple of hours, in another it's a two day workshop. Mm-hmm. And yet it's the same outcome, outcome. documented outcome. Yes. And I think that's the piece we know that yes. that oversimplification does not give you the same outcome. No. It actually, for the company who may end up having that individual, that they're at risk of introducing a whole bunch of risk into the business. And for the person who attends the course, because often people are like, I just want to get as fast as I can. Uh, My view as always is I'd like to get it as fast as I'm able with making sure I get the skill and knowledge I need to be successful in executing the work. Uh, I'm all for pace as long as outcomes are in place. Yep. No, and absolutely, yeah. And in, in all fairness to ASCO, as hard as it is to be an RTO, they have really tightened the screws mm. on training organisations to try and regulate the market better to ensure that the outcomes are met. Mm. Um, it's not, you know, it's not, um, it's still a work in progress and there's still lots of issues there. Um, but I mean, I even recall my own training my first cert four and training and assessment I managed Mm. to do the whole thing in a week you know five days I did a cert four and training and assessment I didn't walk out of there with any maybe a little bit of more knowledge however there's no way I was able to be a trainer or assessor at that stage Um, and all the knowledge and skills that I have now I developed over time with experience and I've just actually done my uh, training and assessment, the upgrade to my training and assessment certification with a very reputable training organisation. And the rigour mm. that I experienced there, it was chalk and cheese. It was much better. You know, it was it was a lot of hard work on my part 
to to get that over the line and and that's the way it's meant to be you know you want you want to come out of doing this training and you know doing the assessments with with, with the outcomes right with, with being able to to work in that field and be competent mm. in it and that applies to any any training I feel whether it's yeah. recognized or not right yeah it is absolutely it's that it is the application it is sufficient rigor that um again another conversation we often have with clients yeah. it's it's about you know competency why does competency matter and that's a whole another podcast which we'll talk about <laughs> another time but in a short version competency people often say well competency matters because the regulator needs to know that our workforce is competent you know, yeah okay tick you're right what else well the business needs to know that the workforce is competent you know so they've got the authority to do work Yep, tick, you're right. What else matters? And often that's where people stop. And to me, the, the gold is missed because the real person who matters in understanding their own competency is individual. Mm. You know, when that person knows they're competent, like you talk about, you did a cert four and four or five days and I had a similar experience, gosh, a long time ago. Um, that same experience where you kind of work going, got a piece of paper, but eh. There's a lot of work to still be done here. I don't think I could go out and do this tomorrow versus your most recent experience where you go, man, that was, uh, whew, I learned stuff here and I could go out and actually use some of this in a very different way. Yeah. Um, just that very different process okay. and the person that matters most is you. The yes. fact that you did feel less comfortable and over here you felt way more comfortable. Yeah. And, and it's just that interesting piece. And the risk of, you know, the, the, the gold of doing something in a standardised approach is absolutely available. And we've also got to be guarded around making sure we don't make it too simple or we oversimplify it to a place where it kind of loses that rigour. Yeah. Um, and there is, if I, to go back to the very early conversation, you talked about it, you know, the two pieces I think you flagged beautifully. One was about learner fatigue. Um a story that I've seen through my involvement with um, Safer Together, an organisation that helps try to bring people together and help them work better and work more safely. Um, many years ago, eight-ish, we helped build a industry safety induction. Pre this, every organisation had their own induction, day-ish. Everybody had their own set of rules in that day and if a contractor needed to work in them, they had to do every, but like so, particularly contractors who might work across five or six different businesses, mm-hmm. they had to do every single one of them to mm-hmm. allow them to begin work. Yeah. And and there were conversations happening with those people to get lack of standardisation, really, really palpable. People were, and people go, oh, man, what a waste of money. And you go, yeah, but there's a much darker, more problematic thing hiding behind them. The money is, is the easy answer, and it's right. Yes. But it's the easy answer. The piece that sits behind it, though, is the fact that, as you said, people are getting just a bit of fatigue because they're going to company A and they say X and here's our rules and here's our expectation. They go to company B and it's kind of the same but a little bit different. And company C, here we are again. And the nuance that happens in people's minds is sometimes consciously, often not, they start to switch off. Absolutely. They start to stop listening. 
So I'll go through the process. They can answer the questions. They're not all that hard. It's pretty simple. But over multiple situations, they're just they're kind of going, this is just rubbish. Mm-hmm. Like you're all telling me something a bit different. How am I supposed to remember everybody's little nuances? <sighs> Standardisation, industry safety induction, those all disappeared more or less. And this one came in which became the single conversation. Okay. So everybody entering through that industry yeah. standardised. Yeah. Um, and the tension that was held in that was when it was created was exactly to your point. You've got to standardise. We've got to be careful we don't oversimplify too. Yeah. It's, not a, it's not about lowest common denominator. Yeah. It's about what is the expected denominator. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a guy who I remember years ago who helped, who was a part of this, Tony O'Sullivan with um, Murphy Pipe and Civil. Hopefully it's okay mentioning his name, but I have. Um, but Tony always held this piece. It wasn't about minimum standard. It was about the standard. Yes. Not yes. about minimum requirement. It was about the requirement. Yeah. And it, it was this beautiful piece. And what he was talking about was holding a line against oversimplification. Um, we've got to have it where we need to have it, accessible, useful, simple, but not oversimple. Yeah. Um, and I think they're the other kind of things that we see in all sorts of places. So from a business perspective, so, you know, you're going into a client, um, you know, names and colours and et cetera aside, organisational aside, when you when these sorts of conversations happen, um, what kind of things are you hearing? Like what what do you see and hear with businesses around this tension? Um, any reflections there that people may associate with? I do feel um, organisations would be open to working with other organisations in the industry to to standardise. I sometimes feel it's feels like it's in the too hard basket. Mm. Um, I think organisations like Safer Together um, and having good results there is is really helpful in in bringing industries together to work to do more of that kind of work. Mm. Um, I I feel organisations are open to it. I just don't think they quite know how to get there. Mm. And that's what I'm hearing. Yeah, and that's cool in that industry macro sense. I agree. Um, sometimes it just requires the conversation reaching out beyond your industry or your company, sorry. Yeah. The other reflection I think is useful is sometimes in companies, asset to asset, site to site, place to place. So we often talk about the big industry opportunities of collaboration and, and they they're good, absolutely not trying to undervalue them at all. But often in your own business, you may see a microcosm of exactly the same thing. Absolutely. And especially in organisations that might have joined together with mm. other companies, you know, yep. where, um, yeah, where they've, you know, you know if two companies have joined or take over, you know, things like that. Um, assets have been bought, collection yes, of assets. Yep. And different systems all of a sudden fall under the same company. Yeah, so there's different way of doing things. There's different permit systems. There's different yeah competency requirements. Um, so and, and not sometimes. And not, yes. <laughs> I think that's it. You're right, and it is this piece where and we've got a few, quite a few clients who are that, and I think it's it's also. Um, 
it's where we are at the moment in an economic cycle. There is consolidation happening. So we are seeing aggregation of businesses and to that point where you are getting inside the one bucket um, different things and that, you know, you've got a choice. You can run two pathways. That pathways that might be there. You might look at standardising some of it to reduce complexity, increase flexibility. Yeah, the things we have. Yeah, it's one of the other things we probably haven't talked about. Is um, I know you've seen this as well. When you do get that standardisation, you get this gift of flexibility potentially mm-hmm. too. Um, especially in a business where you can you can move people across assets or across sites or across whatever the frame is. Mm. Um, the more you are able to safely and successfully standardise gives you this really interesting flexibility. And that's good for the business and it's also good for the people yeah. because it gives you a bit of variety. And I think um, most folk enjoy having some variety inside their roles. Indeed. Um, and I think my heart's having a bit of a chuckle because I'm pretty certain on most days she has a reasonable amount of variety <laughs> day to day sometimes. Yeah. Very much <laughs> so. Which, uh, you know, and it's fun being able to work with a bunch of different things and a bunch of different clients. But, um, yeah. yeah, that's really cool. So Hi. any other thoughts around, you know, if we just to wrap up or to close out, um, you know, any thoughts to kind of to close out around Standardization into simplification or risk of oversimplification, you want to leave us with? Um, All the pressure on you here, sorry. I I think organizations should take the opportunity to look at their training and see where there could be those opportunities to um, standardize, Mm. whether it's across their own operations or organisation or look at their industry partners and and see if there might be opportunities there Um, and then obviously take good care not to oversimplify and to keep that standard just right and the outcome just right. Um, Yeah. yeah. And maybe start with one. Start with you know, start small. Start absolutely. With I one think that's piece of training. Um, really wise. Like start somewhere that is achievable. You know, if we think about goals, we talk about smart goals. You know, achievable, risk, realistic, timely. Like find something you can actually have a crack at. Yeah. That is has a, has got value, makes sense, and is able to be completed in a timely way so that you can get some runs on the board. And the experience of working that through will help do others. Um, I think sometimes people try to start with the biggest, ugliest challenge in the room and then wonder why it was hard. Um, you know, if we think of sliding scales, um, and yet some of those still get met. I know in industry, if we think about the mining resource type world, there's this whole conversation around permit to work, um, and every site's a bit different. People go, it'll never be standardised. And I say, well, that's really interesting because there are examples of that all over the place. If people are committed and they do the work, they can have that achievement. I know Queensland permit, um, the well permitting process is standardised across the industry out there. Uh, I know in Taranaki region in New Zealand, there's a Taranaki permit to work. The core permit to work process is standardised across that region. That's not just oil and gas, that's other industry too. Um, so you can do it. It just requires a bit of commitment, a bit of dedication. 
But I think you're right if you can start with something a little smaller. Um, and the trick then, and, I'll, and I'll, one little reflection, you know, how do you know where to start? How do you know which piece to begin with? I think um, I'd offer a thought that is, you know, we, we think we often don't take the time to do the analysis at the front. And uh, I know it's something we do with all our clients whenever there's um, a complexity that needs some sort of level of resolution or outcome, we do a discovery piece and it's all about understanding what is actually happening, what is the opportunity, how might it be better. Um, and in this particular instance, you know, I think the heart of this is people even understanding what training do they even need inside their organisation. I know there's another, if you, if that piques your interest, there is another podcast with Chris Burbage all around skill analysis, you know, understanding what's required of your workforce and your people helps you also see where across multiple sites helps you understand where there's commonalities. Mm-hmm. And as Ma said, finding the one where you might want to have a crack at getting a bit of simplification and standardization, it's going to add tremendous value um, and holding the line around just making sure you don't go too far. Um, yeah, that's really cool. Thank you for your wisdom. Um, and, and for those who didn't pick it up, uh, I was a little bit nervous about this one. Um, <laughs> but I think we can all agree it was a cracking outcome. And um, yeah, so as you're going forward and as you're thinking about today, thinking about the conversation today, and there's a couple of nuggets there, I think, where one was around training's great, learning's better. And the difference, as Maha pointed out, was all about application. Um, Standardisation is brilliant, oversimplification is problematic. And again, that's very much around understanding what you're trying to achieve before you just remove everything and, and reduce it to a place that it actually becomes less effective and increases risk rather than reducing risk. Um, anyway, there's a few more in there as well. I'm sure everyone's heard one. Thank you for your time, Maha. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, deeply appreciative. And uh, look, we look forward to the next uh, conversation we will have. This is, you know, this, there'll be more from this amazing person. And, uh, yeah, for those who've tuned in, thanks very much for listening. And um, if you need any help or questions, send us a note, give us a call. We really love working with people and helping them do their people better. Cheers. Thank you. Bye.